Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn and Love hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Shayla Slaymaker. Welcome to the podcast, Shayla. Hi, thanks for having me today. We're going to talk about a real tender subject, an important subject. We're going to talk about um, suicide. Shayla was on a panel that I attended, the Suicide Prevention Summit for Faith Leaders. That was in the third quarter, I believe, of 2021 here in Utah. I had a chance to speak there, but then I listened to Shayla's story of losing two brothers to suicide and um, her insights into how to help people walking this road were deeply moving to all of us in attendance. So I reached out to Shayla through our common friend, Benet Brown, no, Benet Larson, sorry, Benet, and was able to connect us. Um, So our hope is that if you're suicidal or if you've lost someone to suicide, that Shayla's insights can help you and help bring more understanding. Shayla is in her late 20s. She's married. She's been married for a couple of years. She works for the state of Utah. She um, grew up in high school here in Utah, planning to have a career in dance, but ended up becoming a lawyer, still teaches dance. She went to law school in Creighton, has passed the bar and works for the state of Utah, and um, is just doing wonderful things in our community. Is that okay for an introduction, Shayla? I think so. And so um, I'm just going to kind of turn it over to you, Shayla. You've done this a couple times, but you've um, introduce your family to us, just um, the number in your family before you lost a couple brothers to suicide. Okay. So I grew up with, um, you know, my mom and dad and then two siblings. So the parents are Kim and Troy, and then uh, my brothers are Chance and Travis. Um, Travis was two years older than me. And then Chance was about seven years younger than me. And um, talk about Chance. Let's start there, if that's okay. Yeah. So Chance, um, you know, he was, we had quite a, quite an age gap. Um, And I remember when I found out he was a boy, because my parents did not find out. um, I was really excited. I knew I was going to have a sister. And then he was a boy and I thought, oh no, I've got another one and he's going to be just like Travis. Um, And I was pretty disappointed, but then in a lot of ways, he just became my best friend as we grew up. Um, I kind of joke around that I raised him because I was really afraid that he would end up like Travis. And so I would read to him every night and, um, I don't know, just a lot of those little mother hen kind of things that I'm sure he didn't appreciate having a second mom, but he got one anyway. Um, But then as we got older, he just, we had this really special connection. You know, he, um, even though he wasn't my sister, he was always happy to tell me if my clothes matched, if I had better shoes if I didn't do my hair well enough, um, he would help me with those things. But then he also, um, just was really thoughtful and caring about everyone around him. He was the type of kid who, you know, we found out later, like he would go and check on neighbors just to make sure they were doing okay. Or if I had a really long day when I'd been super busy, he would come and like bring me a diet Coke and give me a foot rub and like, um, 
you know, I remember one time I had been out, I was out kind of late and we are huge Harry Potter fans. And so I came in to the house and I'm trying to be all quiet and our house is kind of split level. Mine and Chance's bedrooms were downstairs. So I come downstairs and I start walking down and there's my little brother at the bottom of the stairs with his hands on his hips. And he says, Shayla, where have you been? No note, no car. You could have died. Full on Molly Weasley speech. You know, there's this little 12 year old giving me <laughs> this, you know, lecture about coming home late. So yeah, that was, that was chance. Just huge animal lover and just really always thinking about everyone around him. I love your relationship with chance. Um, let's stay with chance a little bit. Um, and I know we're going to talk about Travis, but just so everybody kind of gets this, this is Shayla's growing up in a family with three kids and now she's lost her older brother to suicide and her younger brother that we're talking about right now to chance. So it's really in some ways, another guest on the podcast talked about this is living your worst nightmare. You know, you've lost both of your siblings um, to suicide. And um, I, on behalf of all of our guests, thank you for talking. I think it honors Chance and Travis to talk about them. And these stories, I wish everybody could just see you, the glow in your face as you talk about Chance and these experiences and this wonderful relationship. So keep talking about Chance. And I know on the panel, you actually talked about, you know, what was going on in your personal life um, at the same time that he ended up taking his life. So I guess just a little bit more about chance. Um, we were both very nerdy. We loved, you know, Dr. Who, Harry Potter, video games, all of that type of stuff. And, um, it was hard to lose those things too, when I lost him because I'd enjoyed those things for so long with him that then it was like, Oh, chance would love this new Zelda game. I should have him here. Like, you know, we'd guide each other through the games and like give suggestions and stuff. And it'd be like, Oh, I, I should be playing this with him. And we should be giving each other these suggestions and he's not here. Um, or even just little things like we would go get shakes from Arctic Circle and they probably hated us because we were those people who added like 50 toppings to their shakes. But it was like our favorite thing to do was go get shakes or go get crazy bread from Little Caesars. And there were just, I think what people don't realize when you lose someone is it's not, just losing them, but you lose all of those extra experiences. You know, I didn't have chance to go get shakes with me anymore. So I could go get one in his honor, but wasn't quite the same. Um, yes, I could keep playing all of these video games or keep watching our favorite shows, but I didn't have him there to talk with. Um, so it, it just impacted so much more of my life than I would have ever imagined in losing him. I love that you were seven years different and you had this wonderful friendship. Um, and sometimes that, you know, happens between boys and girls within mm -hmm. families that's unique. And 
Um, I just love this relationship the two of you had. Talk as much as you want to. Chances was 14 years old when he died by suicide, which I don't know the statistics. You may know better in middle school. He's not even in high school yet from um, reading his obituary and the things that you shared. He seemed like a, you know, really happy, um, doing lots of good things. I don't know if there were any yellow flags or red flags or this just completely came out of the blue, but and in asking those questions, just I don't want to bring back trauma and pain into your life, but just anything you want to share that's helpful for listeners. You know, so he outwardly was very fun and happy and caring. Um, but I also, he, he did share with me that he was struggling. Um, and I also have struggled. I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety when I was trying to think I was in seventh grade. So about 13 ish. Um, I'm pretty sure it was seventh grade. It was pretty young. I remember that. I remember it was in middle school. And so when he shared those things with me, um, you know, I went to my parents and and tried to explain to them, um, you know, I, I think he needs help and we need to get him into some therapy and stuff. Um, and I shared with him, you know, we're working on this and he knew things were in the works. Um, but I honestly had no idea that it was, he was struggling to the level he was. Um, I mean, I, I just didn't know it was to that level. I didn't understand how much he was hurting and how, I think in some ways I, I assumed it was similar to mine and to my struggles. And I just thought we can get through this. I'm so glad you told me and we can like get you help. Um, but it was really, really hard to actually get an appointment. And that was one of the things that we did everything we could in a lot of ways. Um, but at the time we weren't aware of as many resources as there really are out there. And so we thought like, well, you know, the soonest appointments in three weeks, what else are we supposed to do? And we told him that, and we were, we were trying, um, but it just wasn't soon enough. But you're doing a great job. Tell, you know, as I've met with people that have lost a family member to suicide, they often are really hard on themselves. They, think, what could I, this is my fault, or what could I have done differently, or I should have seen the signs. And that can be a pretty difficult sort of spiraling world to go down. What have you done for yourself, and what advice do you have for others? And maybe you're, I'm getting ahead of myself, to just give yourself love and compassion and know that you did the best you you could. A lot of therapy. I go to therapy weekly still. Um, and he died in what year? He died in 2013. So that's eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so therapy is, is just huge. Um, with that EMDR therapy, um, because it's specifically for trauma, um, and helping to reprocess traumatic memories. And so that's been a huge help. Um, and I think, before you can even address 
how to give yourself that grace and love and knowing you did the best you could, you have to admit that you had that feeling. So I think for a long time, I inwardly blamed myself, but to everyone else, I could say, oh, well, I know it's not my fault. But inwardly, I thought it was. I Why? Um, I think because there were things like if I had made him come to lunch with me that day, then he wouldn't have been home by himself. Um, if I had fought harder to get him into therapy sooner, this wouldn't have happened. If I had realized, you know, him saying he was struggling this much really meant he was struggling more. I should have known that. I should have seen that. Um, just so many what ifs, what if I hadn't run that one extra errand, would I have been home instead? Um, I, I just think, especially too, with how close we were, um, there was a lot of blame in that way too, because even after he died, one neighbor, you know, very well-intentioned said something along the lines of, you know, I can't believe he would do this, but most of all, I can't believe he would do this to you. And I know they meant well. And yeah, talk about why that's not helpful. But, um, ooh, it hurt. It, um, I mean, in some ways it made me question how close we were. Like, okay, other people thought we were this close too, but clearly we weren't because he didn't tell me he was struggling this much. So then was I not a good enough sister to where he didn't think he could tell me this extent? You know, it really did spiral. Um, and getting into that blame game toward myself. But again, outwardly, I didn't share that. And I didn't really start to understand how many little ways I'd blamed myself until I really started getting into therapy. But even then, I didn't go to therapy regularly until after Travis died. So it took me years to get to a point where I could say, you know what? I was 21 years old. This was my brother. I was in the middle of wedding planning. I was in the middle of trying to move to another state. And I was doing the best with the resources I had and with the knowledge I currently had. That's, I did my best. I can't expect more of myself than what I did. But it's taken me a very, very long time to get to that point. It's really honest. Um, you're honest with the thoughts that came into your brain about, you know, sometimes the fact you're the closest, I've never thought about that, but the fact you're closest, maybe that's harder in a way because you would go down the narrative you went versus if you had moved away from home and, had, and, you know, or 12 years older and had been married and gone back to Nebraska or wherever, but you might've then those that are listening that are disconnected more would say, well, if only I was more connected. And so it's this probably endless loop that any family member plays in their mind when they lose a family member, because it's just tragic. And then uh, we define sometimes ourselves by the last moments or what could we have done versus the totality of the relationship. And you have this incredible relationship with, you know, your younger brother. 
Um, but I think it's pretty logical to have those thoughts come into your mind. And sometimes culturally we add those like that, that, that person that shared that. More thoughts that come to your mind, Shayla, on what you've done to heal and and I'm kind of jumping around on the podcast here, or and it's partly you talking to others that need to heal from losing a family member to suicide. Um, I would say one of the biggest things I've started to do, and I would say I started to do this more after Travis died, but giving myself the space to be wherever I was in that moment. Um, I mean, after Chance died, my whole world changed. My whole, everything was a 180. Um, but I didn't really give myself the space to exist where I was. Um, and more so after Travis died, it was like, you know what? If every once in a while, I just need a day of like being lazy and having no obligations I don't have to force myself to do every single thing all the time. Like I can have a day to just be sad. I can have a day to hurt that my life sucks in some ways. My life is great in a lot of ways, but I've had a lot of hard things that sometimes just are overwhelming. And rather than try to push it down and not let myself feel that I'm getting better. I'm not great at it, but getting better about, um, just letting myself feel that. Um, and I would say I'm getting better about, um, letting people around me just know where I'm at. Um, so like after chance died, I just didn't respond to people and wouldn't respond. My poor best friend, (laughs) She is a saint for sticking with me through everything, but, um, I didn't respond to her for like three months straight and she's still my friend. Whereas now if I feel like I just can't do something, even if I'd committed to it before, I don't feel like going out to dinner, but I'm just not in that headspace. I'm just honest about it. Say, Hey, I know we agreed to this, but I'm not in a good place to do that right now. So can we reschedule? Can we, you know, can we just do this another time or, you know, and I've lost friends over that. I get it. No one wants to be friends with someone who can't ever go out or ends up not wanting to, but, um, also I have amazing friends still here with me that completely understand and don't hold it against me when every once in a while I have days that I just can't. I love that you've just sort of taken ownership of your life and, and there's a lot of expectations around our life, but I think I love the way you just practice self-care or practice what's right for you and are strong enough in your, in that, that you just say no is needed and know what's important for you. And I think that's really helpful for all of us. I think on the panel, you, if it was you, it was somebody else just talked about this idea. I just need to sleep in. I just needed days off. And my mother or other people just gave me permission to do that. Mm-hmm. And how helpful that was to me that I just didn't have to do things that just kind of 
I just needed some time off at times. And what a simple thing that we can give people. Um, any, I'll just kind of turn it. I could ask you some more questions or some things that come to your mind right now you want to share. When I lost Chance, um, I was in the middle of wedding planning. I was actually supposed to get married in two days. Wow. And um, yeah, so you can imagine just everything's crazy. That last minute wedding prep. Um, and so that day, um, August 1st, I was, I had to run up to my grandma's to go make some stuff. And I'd asked my little brother, Chance, if he wanted to come with. And he's like, oh no, I'm going to go hang out with my friend. It's all good. I'm like, are you sure? You know, you, we, I know like doing crafts isn't necessarily the most fun, but I can take you to lunch after we can you know, whatever. And he's like, oh, no, no, I'm just going to go hang out with my friend, you know? And it's like, okay, that's cool. And so, um, went, ran all my errands, um, you know, even stopped and like got him some candy to bring home. Cause he had a sweet tooth, like no other. And, um, came home and called out his name, but there was no reply. And I just assumed he was over at his friend's house across the street. And, so I just went downstairs and worked on various wedding things that needed done. And then my dad came home and said, where's Chance? He's got baseball practice. We've got to get going. And I thought, it's really weird. He's normally very on top of, even if he went to go hang out at his friend's house, he was really on top of getting home and being ready for practice. And so I just thought, well... I don't know. I'll text him. I'll, I'm sure he just lost track of time, you know, but obviously no reply to that either. And, um, at some point my older brother also came home. I'm not positive when, but the three of us were all home and, you know, kind of the next thing I know, I just hear this screaming from upstairs. I mean, just this indescribable noise screaming doesn't even quite cover what it was um and so I just ran upstairs and Travis had come out of his room too so we kind of met in a hallway almost and both of us were looking at each other like what is happening why is dad making this noise and uh, my dad was kind of laying um in the doorway, like blocking to go out to that, to the backyard, um, and just laying on the floor and you really couldn't get anything out of him. And so I, um, decided to go and see, try to see if I could figure out what was going on too. I know it's like the horror story where you tell them, don't do it. Don't walk out there. I get it now. You're, you're always going to. Um, but so I, um, I saw that my little brother had taken his life. Um, and I walked back in. And I remember looking at Travis. And I wanted so badly to, to protect him from what I had just seen. And to tell him don't go out there. We've got to go out front. We've like, 
Chance is gone. I had so many things I was trying to tell him. And instead I just looked at him and I froze. And then I ran out the front door. But then, so I ran out the front door and luckily I had my phone and had the wherewithal to call 911. Um, I'm pretty sure luckily they have tracking. <laughs> but then I just remember being like curled up in the fetal position out front and hearing sirens and knowing they were coming for us. And then, you know, the police officers showed up and fire trucks and everyone. And they, you know, I had to essentially go show them where Chance was. And they had to help move my dad, um, get him out to the front yard. And then luckily we had a really amazing uh, previous bishop that when the cops asked, who, who can we call for you? You can't stay here. This is a crime scene. So, you know, oh, can you imagine having someone tell you your house is a crime scene? Just, but telling us we had to go. And um, I gave them the name and number of this previous bishop who then his wife came and picked us up and took us back to their house. And then I'm not positive exactly how everyone found out, but word started to get spread that, um, that Chance had died. And this family just opened up their house to us, to our family, to our friends. I mean, we were there till like 9 30, 10 o'clock at night and everyone was coming over and they just let everyone be there. And it was a madhouse and they had cops coming over to follow up with us and just so many people surrounding us. And they just opened their homes to us for that. And I, I'm just so appreciative of that. Um, so after, after that, sometime during that day, um, I did not feel like I, I couldn't stay in that house. Um, really, none of us felt like we could. And so my grandpa opened up his house to us. So we, we went and stayed at my grandpa's house. And he also just opened up his home to this madhouse of people. Um, I mean, people were literally constantly coming over and sometimes it was like, oh, more people. But then if there was a break, you're like, oh, where is everyone? I don't want to be by myself. I don't want to be alone. I went into what I call like my to-do list, my checklist mode. Um, Cause it was, it was easier to focus on all of the things that needed to be done versus like, I lost my brother. Um, and their funeral planning's hard. There's a lot that goes into it. There's so many moving parts. And I took a lot of it on because I didn't want to think about what was actually happening. Um, 
so during that time, you know, in the middle of just the worst time of my life, we were trying to plan this funeral and we had a bishop who made it very difficult for us. Um, you know, when especially when you lose someone younger, everyone wants to participate. Everyone wants to share and to give their own tribute, which is completely understandable. So we were trying really hard to be able to include as many people as possible, but you know, we didn't really want a five hour funeral either. And this particular Bishop just was getting so upset and telling us we couldn't have it longer than an hour. We couldn't have that many speakers. We couldn't have that many musical numbers. Everything needed to be about Christ. Um, the message needed to be about Christ. I mean, it just, everything we were trying to do to pay tribute to my brother was getting knocked down and we were told we couldn't do anything. And it just caused a lot of additional stress on us as if we were not stressed enough um, and hurting enough. And we had a family friend that we shared this information to about how difficult this was and how we just were not able to plan this funeral the way we wanted to. And the family friend said, mm, that doesn't sound right. And one of my, I believe it was her brother-in-law. Um, her brother-in-law was in the state presidency right up that happened to be over our ward. She said, let me talk to him. Let me get his thoughts on this because I don't think this is right. And, you know, kind of next thing we knew that particular individual came over and met with us and talked with us and said, you're fine. What you want to do with your funeral planning is absolutely fine. We're not going to hold you to a time limit. We're not going to hold you to a certain number of speakers or musical numbers. Like, yes, you need to be respectful because this is being held in the chapel, but we're not putting all of these rules on you. And you go through me for everything else with this. Okay. So we were just so grateful to have someone step in and alleviate that little bit of a burden on us and let us really have the funeral we needed to have in that moment. I love that. Um, your last line of that, the funeral we needed to have in that moment. And I think that's maybe the principle that you're sharing and to invite us that are leaders, local leaders or people that have had an influence in this situation to use that as the guiding principle, especially in a young person's funeral like this, that's not a traditional funeral, not of a, I don't know what a traditional funeral is, a 90-year-old person that maybe can fit into that template that that bishop was used to or felt was appropriate for all funerals. But I think we need to teach the principle you just shared and need to have the funeral the family needs to have. And this is pure trauma. And the funeral needs to be the first step to to healing and to honor chance. And part of the healing, as you know, is, is people that want to talk about chance, having the chance to talk about chance because it helps heal them. 
And so speaking is part of healing for those that that works for. So I love, I love you shared that because it just helps us do better when we understand some of the principles behind how to do better. So thank you for that. I'd love to just read, you wrote this obituary and then I'd love to have you keep talking. I, I Googled this obituary listeners. It's the second time I've read it. And I, you can, I believe Shayla wrote this in early August of 2013 in his life. Chance brought joy to every around around him. Wish I'd met this kid His contagious smile and vivacious personality, a way of uniting people and bringing out, bringing them out of their shelves no matter what situation he was in, he made those around him feel and know that he was their friend and they belonged. His ability to make people laugh was one of his greatest attributes. He always had a way of lifting those around him, no matter how difficult of a time they were having. Chance had a unique ability to know what people needed and to reach out before they realized they needed his help. His constant hugs, love, smile, laughters, and stories will be greatly missed by everyone who knew and loved him. His family misses the baby boy who held them together more than words can express, and his passing has left a giant void in our hearts that can never be filled until the day that they can we can see and hold him again. That's really well written. Thank you. Um, so c- keep... You know, keep just sharing your story. So, um, you know, I guess to back up a little bit, um, while we were doing all of this funeral planning, you know, we had, um, we ended up having about 10 days to plan it. Um, and we were really lucky to have a lot of people come over and be with us and exist with us. Um, but I think it's important to remind people that sometimes often very well-intentioned things are what cause the most harm. Um, you know, so more people than I can count would say things like, well, you know, he's in a better place. Uh, that doesn't feel very good, you know, because the best place for him is here with me, hanging out with me. There, there's no real way around that. Um, another really common one was that everything happens for a reason. Ah, uh, that is one of my least favorite phrases in the world. Um, because it also hurts. Um, avoid platitudes, you know, avoid these, these sayings that, you think sound good, but really they hurt. Like with everything happens for a reason. What, what reason do you really have to tell me that my 14 year old brother just took his life? That, I mean, that is what you're trying to tell me. And it, it sounds harsh when I put it that way, but that's the message that comes across when you say that my little brother had to die for a reason. And not only did he have to die, he had to take his life for a reason. I don't think so. Sometimes bad things just happen. And it doesn't matter how good of a person you are or how bad of a person you are. 
bad things just happen. And sometimes there's no reason. And once we can accept that that happens, and we don't have to find a reason for these things that happened, it actually can help you heal because you're not trying to figure out what magic lesson you were supposed to have learned from this horrible thing. Like, and don't get me wrong, because I have learned so much through my life and through my traumas, but I didn't need those traumas to learn those lessons. That's a powerful segment. It's a really powerful segment. And um, I've, I've learned that platitudes often just keep me emotionally safe and disconnected from the reality of your situation. And so I've learned by listening to others that I have done platitudes in the past, but it's best not to do those. And you helped us understand that. And I think it's part of bearing and mourning and comfort is platitudes just keep me emotionally safe in the complexity and the pain of your situation. And it doesn't add, it just adds to your burden as you so well shared. And, and I love that you actually went down the road. Everything happens for a reason and sort of, okay, let's take, let's really talk about that. Like you just did. And that's where it kind of, um, falls apart pretty quickly because the world be better with chance here. Your life would be better with chance here. The world be better with chance here. That tribute wrote to him, all the people that love him and he was influencing for good. So it would be better if chance were here, obviously. And so bad things just happen. And we, it's maybe best not to try to explain it with a two or three sentence statement. Um, great. That's very helpful. Keep talking, Shayla. So, um, you know, after after the funeral, it, it's weird because when you go through trauma, it affects your memory. Um, and so I have these like glimpses and flashes of that that week and a half in particular, but it's I really couldn't tell you a lot of things in what order they occurred, um, who came over. I, I have glimpses of that. Um, one of the things that helped a lot was when my best friend came over and instead of trying to make it better, she brought me a gallon of ice cream in my favorite flavor with extra caramel sauce because I'm a caramel addict. And she said, this sucks. This sucks. And I'm sorry. But here's ice cream. <laughs> you know, and I just remember in that moment thinking, oh, someone's not trying to make this better. There's no making this better. Chance is gone. You can't, you can't make that better. But just having someone really acknowledge that this situation was painful and they really couldn't fix it. But here's something you love, you know, here's, here's like a little glimmer of sunshine. Um, and so that just impacted me so much in that moment of having someone who I knew would exist with me where I was at. Um, and that would be something I would really highly encourage 
to anyone who is trying to support someone who's lost someone, get rid of your platitudes and go buy a gallon of ice cream or whatever their favorite snack is, you know, show up, be there and exist through the suck. Like it's not going to be fun to sit there while you both cry. It's not a fun situation. But what that person needs is you to just exist with them. And maybe they say nothing or maybe they tell you stories about their loved one or maybe they share their anger wherever they're at, but just exist with them. And that will go so much further than you trying to fix the situation. That's another great segment. I wrote down exist with them. No one's ever said that phrase that I'm aware of on the podcast. And um, this friend, I guess, could have brought you ice cream and known your favorite flavor and just left it on the door with a nice note. And that would have been safe and maybe helpful. But I love this friend. Um, There's something about this friend physically wanted to eat ice cream with you and exist with you and talk about how much it sucks and just sat with you in the pain of that. And the thing about that, Shayla, is we're all capable of doing that. That person didn't need to go to some advanced degree. That was just sort of a basic human thing they did. Maybe intuitively it came to your friend and others it doesn't come intuitively, but that's why you're helping us do better and understanding um, how to better minister and serve and help and exist with them. What a great line. Um, so... You know, finally, the funeral day came. And, wow, that day sucked. Um, you know, I remember... I remember taking a blanket I had made for my brother and tucking him in. And knowing that was the last time I'd see his face. And then, you know, you still have to go through the whole funeral after you're dealing with the fact that, you know, you just saw them for the last time. And I remember after the funeral going back to the church for the luncheon and walking in the room and looking around and saying, I can't do this. I'd hit the end of my checklist. I'd done everything I needed to do for the funeral. And then I was forced with the realization I had to exist. And I didn't want to. So I, I left I didn't even go to the lunch and I told my parents I can't. And then I entered what I call my zombie phase. Um, Like I mentioned, I lived with my grandpa for about three months after Chance died. And he, he was so amazing through my grief process. Um, He had lost his wife um, trying to remember, I think about two, two or three years before, um, and she had also died suddenly 
And so he kind of understood the sudden loss part of it better than I think most people would. And he just let me be where I needed to be each day, but he also pushed me. Um, so for a long time, I really couldn't, um, I couldn't drive. I didn't feel safe driving. I felt like I couldn't even figure out how to run a car. And so I was like, I definitely shouldn't be on the road. And then I also, one of the things I really remember is losing my reading comprehension ability. And I, I've loved reading my whole life. And I would try to go read a book to escape and I couldn't remember anything I read. I mean, it just was completely gone, you know, and keep in mind before Chance died. So yes, I was supposed to get married in two days, but I was supposed to move and go to law school in two weeks. I mean, this was, I was supposed to be in a different state. I was supposed to be going to school. I was supposed to have a husband. I was supposed to have my brother. And then suddenly I'm, you know, eventually me and my fiance broke up. And so it was like, okay, I'm single. I am kind of homeless. Like I'm living at my grandpa's, but it, you know, I didn't really feel like I super had a home. I didn't have my brother. I wasn't going to law school. I couldn't even read. And so it was just a lot of things that led me down into this very numb zombie place where I just, I got up every day, but I couldn't really tell you anything I did. Um, but my grandpa was very good about letting me be in that place, but not for too long, you know, and finding those times where he could push me just a little bit, you know, he wasn't like, Hey, let's go run a marathon today. But like, Hey, come to the store with me. Let's at least get you out of the house. Let's do a little thing. Um, or, hey, let's go, let's go out to dinner. You have to try these onion rings. They're my favorite. They're the best. You just, you can't, you haven't lived until you've had these onion rings from Astro Burger. But those are, those are some of the glimpses of him pushing me out of my zombie mode while I lived with him. Um, but overall... I really didn't do much. I mean, I didn't even, I didn't even respond to my friends for months. I just, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle life. I would go to bed and think I would have to die from the pain. I thought there is no way someone can actually live through this much pain and it is going to kill me and I'm not going to wake up tomorrow. Wow. And then I would wake up the next day and I'd say, I don't, I don't know how I'm alive still. And then eventually my parents um, ended up buying a new house because Travis also was not living at home. Um, neither of us ever stayed in that house again. Um, we just couldn't do it. But so I, I moved into my parents' house and, um, you know, it was just very up and down. It's still up and down eight years later, but especially at that time, just so all over the place. And, um, I remember one morning in particular, just thinking I cannot do this anymore. I cannot get out of bed anymore. I cannot keep going to work. I cannot 
do this life anymore. I just, I don't even want to get out of bed. I'm done. I'm done hurting this much. And how is this worth it? And, you know, I drug myself upstairs and my mom was in the kitchen and I shared that with her of just, I can't do this. I can't. I'm to the point I can't force myself out of bed. It takes me so long to even drag myself out of the bed. And I just want to lay there all day. And my mom looked at me and said, you can do that. She said, you don't have to get out of bed. You could stay in that bed for the rest of your life and everyone would understand. Wow. Everyone would understand if you didn't get out of bed because you lost your brother, you know, like everyone would understand that. And she said, or you can choose to get out of bed and no one will understand because you lost your brother. And how do you keep getting out of bed? And the funny thing is my mom does not even remember saying this to me. <laughs> she she's, doesn't remember it at all. But what I needed, needed, what I needed in that moment was permission to exist exactly where I was. And if that meant I didn't want to get out of bed, I didn't have to. Um, I think sometimes after we lose someone, we feel this pressure to get back to normal and there is no getting back to normal. You know, I was shattered. I lost someone. I mean, it felt like someone had ripped a piece out of me and there's no going back to normal with that loss. But once someone finally just gave me the permission to exist where I was at, I could start. I actually started to be able to get out of bed because I knew I had the choice. Whereas before it felt like I had no choice. This time it was like, well, I can choose. I can choose. That's a powerful phrase, Shayla. I wrote that one down. Permission to exist exactly where I was at. What a gift your mother gave to you. And it's not back to these un really uncomplicated things we can all do that are very, very helpful. And I think that that's a great gift your mom gave you and a great gift we can give everybody given the reality of their individual lives. It doesn't mean we're not trying to do our best or progress, but sometimes what a gift your mom just gave you. And it's sort of just acknowledging the reality of your difficult road. I love that. Yeah, it's, it's been huge. I mean, I, I get out of bed every day now. Sometimes I just move to the couch. Okay. Sometimes I don't do much more than that, but I get out of bed and that's okay. If that's all I did, that's a win. So we've got about 15 minutes more. I don't know if you want to talk. You've, I'll just kind of turn it back over to you for, you know, you've got Travis and just other things you want to share. So keep, you're doing a great job. Okay. Um, so, you know, for the next year, it was a lot of just figuring out how to exist. And um, 
I was all over the place and I frankly did lose some friends because I was not a very good friend. Um, it was really hard to be a good friend when I couldn't even see waking up the next day, you know, let alone making any type of plans. But eventually I started to think, you know, I think, I think it's time for me to try to go back to law school. I just really felt this pull to do that because it was taken away from me. There's, there's no way around that of, I didn't get to do it. Um, but you know, I, I was able to read again and understand things. And I thought I can, I think I can do this. And so I reached out to professor Mingram at Creighton and just said, Hey, I'm, I'm thinking about going back to law school or going to law school. And I had missed every deadline for the fall 2015, you know, year. And what do I, what do I need to do to to apply again? Or, and he said, oh, we've got everything. You've got a spot this year. Wow. So yeah, I went from thinking I'd go to law school in like a year and a half to three months. Um, but I just thought, you know what? I'm going to do this. If they have a spot for me, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do everything I can while I'm there because I had this taken away from me and I'm not going to let this opportunity slide again. So I'm going to give it my all. And I did. I, you know, I went to law school and they had this um, study abroad program where we got to go to the Netherlands and Germany and learn about the Holocaust and how the Holocaust shaped international law and visit historical sites while we learned and just incredible experience. And so I decided I was going to do that. And um, so that was after my first year, between my first and second year of law school, I went to the Netherlands and then to Germany. And I'd been there about, um, about 10 days. And I'd messaged with my older brother, Travis, a couple of times, and he was just really excited for me and, you know, had asked me to go grab a, a coffee from a cafe because it's clearly got to be better because you're in Europe. And, you know, then also made the comment of, you know, if anyone tries to mess with you while you're there, you let me know because I will be on the first. So we had a couple of these message exchanges um, while I was there. And then, um, you know, one day after class, I came home and I obviously didn't have cell phone service. Um, so I only had could message people when I had Internet and got back to the hotel to a email that said, you know, you need to call home. There's been a family emergency. And my, my heart just sank. Um, there was this part of me that knew Travis was gone. I can't really explain why. But I just had this horrible feeling that that Travis was gone. Um, and so I, you know, I called home and my mom had to tell me that Travis had taken his life and I needed to come home immediately. And suddenly I was in a foreign country wow. where they don't, I mean, some people speak English, but some don't. And 
I'm now trying to navigate and figure out how I can get home as soon as possible. And we were very lucky to have some uh, really good family friends who worked for an airline and helped coordinate and helped me figure out what tickets I needed and how to get different places and how to get me home fastest. I mean, just incredible people. And on top of that, one of them actually flew to Georgia, which was my connecting flight to the, you know, to the U S and, um, met me there so that the last leg of the trip, I didn't have to be alone. You know, and I know not everyone can do that, but it was just such a a relief because at this point it took him about two days to get a hold of me to even let me know Travis was gone and then had essentially another 24 hours worth of traveling. And so to just have someone there was so huge Um, because that was a hard trip. That poor flight attendant. I was not someone anyone wanted to sit next to. That's just your worst nightmare again. And um, I love this, these interactions you and Travis had and how wonderful and positive and good they were. And just so sorry, you know, that he left. And this is 20, this is three years roughly after Mm -hmm. Chance. And so he's, Chance is 14 and and Travis is 26. So they're very different in age. Um, But it's a very short time, really, when you think about it, just three years apart. And so, yeah, I love this person existed with you on the flight home from Atlanta to Salt Lake and how much that meant to you in this very, and you can remember that still to this day that person probably where you sat and where that person sat and how meaningful that was. Um, yeah. I don't know if you want to talk more about Travis. Um, and I just, I, I, my impression is just to have you keep sharing more of your story. Okay. Um, so, you know, with losing Travis, um, it w it was a short time period. Um, but in a lot of ways, they were very different losses because we had very different relationships. Um, it's honest. You know, mine and Travis's relationship was a lot more rocky. Um, even though we were closer in age, we really butted heads a lot growing up. And we were just starting to get to a point where we were more friends, you know, because um, he really had this way of getting under your skin and he loved pushing my buttons and, you know, typical older brother stuff, but it made for some strained relationships at times. Um, but then he also could make you laugh over like anything. I mean, he was essentially a stand up comedian and he was someone who it wasn't just like chuckles. It was like tears, belly hurts. You can't breathe laughter that just followed him whenever he wanted to, you know, just make people laugh. Um, so, so there were those different relationships that I lost. Um, with Travis, I was a lot, I had a lot more anger because he, in my head, he knew what he was doing to me. Like that's honest. Chance didn't know. Plus he was younger. 
But Travis had lived through this with me. And then I just felt so hurt that he would do this to me again a second time, you know. Um, so that anger difference, I really wasn't expecting. Um, I think the other difference was with with Chance. I had never experienced a loss like that before. And I think, like I mentioned before, I, I went to bed really thinking I couldn't possibly wake up because I was in so much pain. But with Travis, I knew I was going to wake up. I didn't get that reprieve of, of not knowing if you were going to live or not. And maybe that's not quite, quite the right, quite the right way to say it. But with Travis, I knew from the beginning I would keep waking up the next day and I'd keep living. Um, I also think, so I've described grief before as, as like a cup or, you know, any type of storage container that can only hold so much water. And when I lost chance, I went from, you know, zero to a hundred and it was overflowing, but it always stayed pretty full. And then when I lost Travis, it went back to overflowing, but I was already so close to the top and so close to the edge with my grief that it hurt, but it just hurt to the, I don't know exactly how to describe it. That's kind of my best image it's a great of one. how it feels. It's a really good one. Um, So I just, yeah, I guess I just continued hurting at that maximum pain level for a really long time again. I like the way you talk about the differences of anger and I've learned to validate anger and that would be a pretty normal thing because it's different. And I think it's, I like the way you thought, you know, Travis, you knew what this would do to me because you've seen, you knew what do it with mom and dad and others that love our family and love you. and. You've, and Chance, I love the grace you give to Chance that he probably didn't understand that at 14. Um, and so I think that's pretty logical. That's helpful for me just to hear that. And um, But you still love this guy. <laughs> you talk about these last texts with a big smile on your face. It's just so complex. I love the, the visual of your cup just overflowing with grief. And so it's sort of at a limit. It's just overflowing. So you're so numb to Travis's death. I don't know if numb's the right word, that it's that you, the pain with chance of going from zero to a hundred, you, you couldn't duplicate that again because you're already at a hundred, so to speak, or at 98 mm -hmm. and your odometer could just go to a hundred. That's sort of a similar analogy to you used. I'd love you to keep talking about, you know, you're in the middle of law school. You're trying to get your career underway. You've got to, you've lost both of your brothers. I'd love you to, you know, talk a little bit about that. And I'm going to ask you some questions at the end, especially to somebody that's listening that's suicidal. I'd love you to talk to that person directly. Okay. So um, after losing Travis, um, there was a lot of debate about, do I, do I go back to school? Am I even capable of that? Am I going to be derailed again? How much is my life going to change again? Um just what do I do? And 
um, he died July 10th. So, you know, school didn't start till the end of August. So I had a little bit of time to, to kind of figure it out. And ultimately I decided to try, um, to at least try to do school. And I took a little bit lighter of a load and my professors knew what was going on with me. And I am just so grateful to the professors I had because I was, I was a hot mess. I mean, I just lost my second brother and law school is stressful all on its own without traumas. And so, you know, in particular at that time, um, professors Weber and professor Mangram and professor Cote just gave me the grace I needed, you know, um, to have a little bit of extra leeway with exactly when assignments were turned in or dropping classes or deciding I'd taken on too much and had too much on my plate and just letting me play it by ear um, and helping me understand it didn't have to be all or nothing. Whereas initially I thought I either have to go back to law school or I have to take at least a semester off. And they were awesome about, you know what, let's, Let's start out with a somewhat normal schedule. Maybe not the fullest full-time, but like, let's try full-time. If it's too much, you can go part-time. If you can't do this thing that you signed up for, that's fine. Like, let's let's figure out a, a kind of medium place and see if you want to go up or down from there. And that was huge to not feel like I, you know, with, with chance, I lost essentially everything everywhere where my life should be, I lost. And it was so nice to get to hold on to pieces of my life um, and to get to go back to law school. And then um, the next year, there was the Germany trip. You know, I didn't get to finish it. And I wanted to so bad but I also knew it would be very difficult because I would be going back to the exact same place with essentially the exact same schedule of when I'd lost Travis. Um, but again, ultimately I decided to do it. And um, Professor Kelly in particular um, was, you know, one of the professors studying abroad there. And he was very understanding and amazing at knowing I was not going to be a hundred percent all the time. You know, like the day Travis died, we had gone to a particular museum and we of course were scheduled to go to that same museum. And I just told that professor, I, I can't do it. I cannot go there because I know last year, one year ago, I walked home from this museum and my life changed again, you know, and he was really amazing about helping me structure that experience to where I could still get the experience, but limit some of the trauma. Um, but the one year anniversary was really hard. You know, I was in a foreign country. I was not with, I was with classmates that were now a year younger than me. So they weren't the ones I knew super well. And I felt pretty alone. And um, 
you know, so I, I reached out to that professor and just said, Hey, I'm struggling. Can we just talk? He said, yeah, absolutely. Let's talk. And so we met up and he just let me talk about Travis and he let me share that I was struggling and I was, I wasn't sure I'd made the right choice in going to Germany. I wasn't sure, you know, part of me felt guilty and like I should have been at home with my parents on this anniversary. It was the very first one. And instead I wasn't, you know, halfway across the world and he helped me be okay with my decision and helped me talk through that with me. And then he also, um, you know, I, I think I shared something along the lines of I'm just struggling, enjoying it here because of what happened a year ago, you know? And he said, you know, what if every day you decide to take a photo of one beautiful thing? Like, just keep an eye out as you're walking around and as you're doing stuff. What if you just took a photo of one thing that sparked beauty for you that day? And that changed my entire trip because it went from, wow, I'm here and I'm, you know, I'm reclaiming this trip, but a year ago was so hard to, I'm reclaiming this. I'm finding one beautiful thing each day. And sometimes it was stairs, you know, sometimes it was not anything that was necessarily huge, but I liked how the lighting hit it. And other times it was like, we were on the top of the Alps and I was like, this is amazing. And that's really stuck with me. I don't necessarily take a picture every day of something beautiful, but I try really hard to find something beautiful in every day. And sometimes that's huge. Sometimes that's hiking up the Alps. Sometimes that's, I don't know, going to Ireland or just big things, getting married. And other times it's like, oh, ice cold Diet Coke. This is the best. You know, the beautiful things don't have to be big things every time. It's okay to to focus on the little things and love those just as much. Shay, this has been a great podcast, but what message would you share with those who have lost a loved one? So, um, specifically for people who have very recently lost someone, um, I wish I could tell you that like in this X amount of years, everything's better or, you know, give you something that way, something more concrete. Um, but I can't give that to you because that's not reality. You know, it's eight years later and I still grieve every day over the loss of my brothers. Um, but also life can still be beautiful. Um, life can still be happy and joyous and have magical moments. And even though my brothers aren't here with me physically, I personally believe they surround me all the time. Um, And whether or not you believe that, you can incorporate their memories and their lives and honor them. 
and find connections with them in that way. You can still, they're still a part of your life. You know, um, I have a really good friend with two adorable kids who I shared, for example, that my little brother used to pretend to be asleep, you know, when I'd go to check and see if he was sleeping and he would do the worst fake snore ever where he'd go, conk shoe, conk shoe, conk shoe. And you're like, okay, I know you're, you're totally awake, dude. That is, you're not snoring. But I shared that with her and her kids. And now her kids do that too. That's great. You know, and they, I think my message for you would, would be don't, don't leave your loved one in the past. They can come into the present with you. They're still here with you in whatever capacity you need and want them to be. I love that. And I love that you talk about your brothers. And I think that honors them. Um, I think, you know, I think they're aware that you talk about them. And then I think that makes them happy that your memory lives on. And there's people doing conk chew. <laughs> um, and I have have to think that brings a smile it's chance that does that <laughs> so that's just what i think listeners talk about you know people that are listening that are suicidal and just are actively considering that might even have a plan talk to that group of people so for those who are personally struggling right now first and foremost i want you to know you are loved you are needed. You are wanted here. And the world is not a better place without you in it. You will be missed. And I would just encourage you to please reach out to someone and be honest about how you're feeling. Don't leave it at, oh, I've just been feeling sad or a little depressed. Be open. Say, I have been thinking about taking my life. I have a plan and I need help. I want help. Maybe, you know, but please stay. Please, please reach out. Um, there is someone in your life who will help you. And there are there are other resources like the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention that can help get you into contact with people. There are national suicide prevention hotlines, um, the emergency room, there, NAMI. There's so many resources and people who want to help you and want to help you stay and who will fight with you to stay. They will stand by your side and help you stay. So please stay please reach out and know you are loved and we want you here. You will shatter someone's life if you're not here. So great words. Don't have anything to add. I think I read this quote listeners on the podcast. It kind of reminds me of Shayla. Um, it's the wounded healer quote. A minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which he or she speaks. 
The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led out of a desert by someone who's never been there. And you know this brutal desert. And you don't want to know it, but you know it. It's the reality of your life. But it's wonderful what you're doing to talk and to help others out of this desert, to prevent others from walking into the desert. But, um, and that's what you've done in this podcast, is those that are in that desert because they've lost a loved one you're helping. And those that are considering suicide, uh, what you just said at the end helps them not to choose that. And you have a wonderful, unique life mission. You are strong, courageous, brave, real, vulnerable, you even said a hot mess. That's a term that we've used around our house a little bit. I love the way you had a smile on that one. So you're just who you are and you're really honest with who you are. And I think that helps all of us just to be more real and more honest. And that's a sign of great strength. You're, you're a credit to your parents, your credit to everybody in your life. You're honest and real and, and you're at loss. You've, got a you know law degree you've passed the bar you're serving in our community and you're talking about this so you have a great life ahead of you it's different because you've lost your brothers but i love the way you said life can still be um beautiful and joyous and that gives all of us hope so shayla slaymaker um almost mispronounced your name great job this is richard and shayla signing off from another episode of listen learn and love